Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy and friends are resting this week and will return next week. However, we have a leader from our local church community giving today's message. Just in a moment, we're going to practice the rule of life, give you a moment of solitude and silence, uh, and practice the presence of God. Just want to give you a quick announcement. So basically, our Christmas service will be on the 19th. We have two more weeks uh, to end the year. So we're going to do full-blown Christmas service on the 19th. Uh, So invite friends to hear the gospel message uh, about the story of Bethlehem, about the love of God, and what it means, what Christmas actually means today and then and there. Um, and so keep that in prayer. Um, I love Christmas. It just sometimes never lands on Christmas Day, particularly on Sunday. So just keep that in mind. Secondly, today Paul Lee will be preaching today. Let's give him a hand. Um, and one of the things as we diversify our, our preaching team, we want to try to give everyone a diverse voice of perspective. Paul is a, he did go to seminary, but he's a trained organizational psychologist. And so companies pay him and his team millions of dollars to listen to his advice. We get it for free, so that's even better. But the framework could really zero in on, particularly today, on vision and goals. It can really help... Uh, us become more effective in the way we look through the lens of our own lives, the gospel, and the world, and it can help you become more optimal. That's why Paul wants to make everything more optimal. He's like that crab from Finding Nemo that cleans everything in the tank. That's that's how I picture Paul. Uh, (laughs) uh, So we're going to welcome up in a minute. So let's all bow our heads and practice the rule of life. And Kevin will read for us today. Sarah Young's devotional to celebrate Advent. Let's exhale. And inhale the presence of God. Do not be weighed down by the clutter in your life. Lots of little chores to do sometime in no particular order. If you focus too much on these petty tasks, trying to get them all out of the way, you will discover that they are endless. They can eat up as much time as you devote to them. Instead of trying to do all your chores at once, choose the ones that need to be done today. Let the rest slip into the background of your mind so I can be in the forefront of your awareness. Remember that your ultimate goal is living close to me, being responsive to my initiatives. I can communicate with you most readily when your mind is uncluttered and turned toward me. Seek my face continually throughout this day. Let my presence bring order to your thoughts, infusing peace into your entire being. The scripture for today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And all God's people say, Amen. Let's welcome Paul. 
Hello, hello. Wow, great. Start timer. Okay. <laughs> so, um, can we get the first slide? Great. Um, so, uh, the topics that I want to cover today are uh, as follows. So, the first off, uh, you are a CFO, whether you realize it or not. Um, there is an art installation called Before I Die that I want to go into. Um, and then the topic of why set goals, and then how that ultimately translates to following Jesus. So from there, um, we'll get started. Can we move to the next slide? Great. Uh, don't bother trying to read all this. Uh, the only important things is that there's two boxes. One is gray and one is green. Uh, <laughs> so everyone owns two distinct businesses. The gray box is your labor business. And the green box, your asset management business. So your labor business is your temporary labor business. Uh, which sells your skills and your energy for money. Uh, you are born with a finite amount of labor potential because you're born with a finite amount of time. And you have to harvest this over your lifetime, right? You, you gradually transfer this exchange for labor for money. And regardless of whether you're an employee or a business owner, it's, it's basically the same principle. Um, and the objective of this temporary labor business is to convert your labor eventually into financial assets um, as efficiently as possible. And that's key. Uh, you don't want to convert labor into cash and then cash falls off and then no assets. That's a terrible situation. Um, so the asset management business is the opposite side, right? So once you have done the work, you've converted to cash, then you have assets. The second part of the business is the asset management business. And uh, you acquire these again through your labor. And you have two goals. One grow it as large as possible, and two is produce enough cash flow to be able to support your consumption, as well as be able to reinvest in your labor assets, right? So invest it back into yourself, invest it into your own education, things like that, earn more money. So these two things bounce back and forth. Ultimately, as CFO, you have two goals, or three goals, sorry. Um, create cash flow, increase your spending, and um, Basically, you're maximizing both your labor and financial assets, and then ultimately, uh, whatever you want to leave behind. So maximizing your legacy, um, whether it's for charity, whether it's for family. Um, but that's essentially the general gist. So moving on to the next slide. Um, so this kind of explains it a little bit better. Um, so what you see is, uh, uh, what is it, a dink, a double income, no kids, uh, <laughs> in here on the screen right now. And so uh, two, gray box, two gray bars are uh, essentially, that is your labor potential, right? So uh, basically, um, let's say you take 2017, 2018, which is like down yonder. Uh, you multiply that by what, 35 years of uh, employment that you have in the future, you have X amount of million potential. Uh, over time, what you're doing is you're slowly converting that labor into assets. And so the green bar should, be getting bigger. If it's not, there's a problem. But, um, but basically, gray converts to green. Green then, interest compounding takes over. Green should exponentially increase. That's the goal. Um, the other goal is that the red line uh, the, at the bottom, uh, liabilities, should probably be contained. You probably don't want liabilities for the rest of your life. Um, and 
The other important thing is your red bar should not be bigger than your gray bar. Then it's not worth it. <laughs> if yeah, if your liabilities are more than your labor, then uh, that's, that's, you're overeducated. Um, you need to do something about that. All right. So uh, moving on to the next slide. All right, so again, over time, labor potential goes down. Um, why? Because you've, you know, you've earned this year's wages. Uh, next year, your potential, quote unquote, is that much less. So what I, the only thing that I want to highlight here is this example illustrates your finite capacity for work and therefore the importance of goals. Because our time, our labor is finite, you need to direct it. Otherwise, it's not going to work out for you. Um, we only have a certain amount of time available to us, and so how we spend our days is very significant. Um, and uh, the next illustration that I want to bring up is uh, particularly makes this point. Um, it's apparent in artist Candy Chang's art installation, Before I Die. So I'm just going to read this box here. But basically, um, this is an installation that is in New Orleans. And uh, so I'll just read it. Before I Die is a public art project that invites people to reflect on their lives and share personal aspirations in public space. Artist Candy Chang uh, created the original wall in an abandoned house on her neighborhood in New Orleans after losing someone she loved. Over 500 Before I Die walls have been created in over 60 countries, and each wall is unique, and it reflects the people of their, that community, filled with an honest mess of longing, pain, joy, insecurity, gratitude, fear, and wonder. The Before I Die wall encourages communal introspection to help us make sense of the beauty and the tragedy of life with the people around us. So, I mean, heavy, but essentially, like, this is it, right? We are, are um, it, it's a public declaration of what do I want to accomplish? Like, of the limited labor assets that I have, of the limited time that I have, what, what do I want to put out there? Um, and so we're going to explore this concept further uh, as we go on. So next slide, please. So clearly there's uh, a need to establish goals in life. Um, we have a limited capacity to work, and it's clear that um, it's very human to actually want to get stuff done, right? Like the, the before I die wall is a clear example of that. People want to accomplish great things. Um, and they also want other people to know that they want to accomplish great things. But which goal is right for me? What if I can't accomplish my goal? What will I have to sacrifice to accomplish this goal? And are some of the many, and, and those are some of the many questions that come up when we deal with this question. And so I want to introduce you to a quick model. Um, so values shape our aspirations and goals. Goals shape our lives and our lifestyle. And living in any way requires sacrifice or there's a cost to it. Um, so saying it again, our values shape our aspirations and our goals. Our goals shape our lives. And living in any way requires sacrifice. And so we're going to go into each one of those topics, break it down a little bit further. Um, moving on. Great. So what are values? Values, uh, most importantly, they're taught. Um, values exist in communities. Uh, they are created, they're transmitted, they're adopted, they're reinforced, and they're adapted within the context of a community. Uh, you can think something is valuable, but if no one else agrees with you, uh, <laughs> it's not that valuable. 
Um, so, so at the end of the day, there has to be this community aspect to, to values. Um, so having said that, uh, values set up our aspirations and our goals, right? So, so it's, the, it's the extent of the value that, that ultimately becomes our goal. So goals are meant to be big. Um, hairy and audacious. So some people in organizational psych, they call that BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals. But, um, but basically, yes, they are meant to be big, hairy, and audacious. So what does it mean? Um, if you're creating goals based on what you can do, uh, you're thinking way too small. Don't set goals because you can accomplish them now. There's no point. Um, set goals that are big, too big, uh, goals that make you feel very, very uncomfortable. Because the purpose of a goal is to direct what you do today. It's not that you can accomplish it today, it's to direct what am I supposed to do today. Um, so big goals pull us through small goals in a way, on the way to attaining the big ones. And I'll explain this in an illustration. So let's say I'm a person, a uh, New Yorker, stranded in Brooklyn, and I want to get to Manhattan. A person that is stranded in Brooklyn uh, has a couple of options, right? They can ride a bike, they can take public transit, but basically the things that they do is specific to their goal. Um, this same person trying to get to Hawaii, it's not the same. You can't bike your way to Hawaii, right? You can bike your way to Manhattan, but you can't bike your way to Hawaii. No matter how much effort, no matter how much time in the gym, no matter how much time in the Peloton, it just doesn't work. Um, so. So public transportation doesn't scale. Uh, bike, biking doesn't scale. And so the point that I'm trying to make is that if your goal is Hawaii, you're going to take a different series of steps. You're not, you're not going to do the thing that the person that is on the bike trying to get to Manhattan is doing. It's, it's, it's a very different lifestyle. Um, so keep that in mind. It doesn't scale. But too many people want to begin <laughs> with a clear understanding of their life's goal or their mission. Um, that there's, unfortunately, there's no one thing that you're wired to do, and there are many ways that you can add value to this world. Um, but these opportunities will only become clearer over time as you act. Um, your lifestyle opens and closes doors. So based on the goals that you choose, based on the trajectory of, of your life and the choices that you make on a day-to-day -day basis, doors will open and close. Um, and so it, it's kind of like a chicken and egg problem, where you end up with, if you follow certain goals, you lead a certain lifestyle, which opens other goals. Um, and, and so, yeah, you end up with this cycle. So next topic, goals then shape lifestyle, which this kind of transitions to. When setting a goal to become a Taekwondo master, uh, you practice. You practice a lot. But the kicks and the punches that you learn day one as a white belt are not different than the kicks and punches that you learn as a black belt. It's the same set of kicks and punches. The only difference is that you are more efficient and you are more effective at delivering the same thing. Uh, why? Because if you want to become a Taekwondo master, you already know what your goal is. You already know how to get there, the kicks and punches. But all you need is rehearsal. You need practice. Um, so you structure your life around daily progress. You incrementally cross milestones and you get closer to your goal. And what do we call that? We call that discipline. So, but, any sort of lifestyle, whether it's becoming a Taekwondo master or whatever, um, it requires sacrifice. So living inherently requires sacrifice. Why? Because the flip side of pursuing something is saying no to everything else. 
Um, so, so any direction, whichever direction that you pursue, uh, there's always this, this positive negative side of the equation, right? Um, so any value that we create that requires us to spend our time, our focus, our energy, whether it's occupation, whether it's relationships or parenting, um, it requires sacrifice. Uh, humans are wired to find satisfaction in being able to add value. Uh, but by choosing one goal and living it out, you are giving up other goals. It's only natural. So just to reiterate and to highlight a couple of points in this model, right? Um, there's just a couple of things that I want to clear up. One is a goal is worth pursuing if a goal is aligned to your values. Basically, if you can look at what other people are trying to accomplish, but if they're not in your value set, like who cares? You won't care. Um, and then two, sacrifice only makes sense when the goal is worth the sacrifice, right? So the goal has to be bigger than the sacrifice. And then your sacrifice and goals will only make sense to those who share your values. So this week, um, for those of you in the know, uh, it was uh, the birthday of uh, the Whopper um, at Burger King. Uh, so for some of us, that's, that's a goal. <laughs> we, we will make the sacrifice to trek to the Burger King and to buy that 37 cent Whopper, and we'll do it three times. Um, and <laughs> not everyone will share this goal, but the point is, is that it depends on your values. If your value is you know, being a health freak, it, it's, it's not going to work. <laughs> You're not going to go. But for, for those of us that are you know, less inclined, um, <laughs> we make that trek. You make those sacrifices. All right. <laughs> so next slide. All right. So uh, quote up the top, think big, go small, trust that the dominoes will fall. Um, so three levels to goals, right? So there is the stretch goal. That is your multi-year goal. That is the big, big, hairy, audacious goal. That then gets broken down into sprint goals, which are your milestones, right? Um, and for techies, they would understand uh, sprints. Uh, and then from there, you break it down to the day-to-day, -day, the step goal. So the stretch goal informs the sprint goal because it determines your milestones, which then determine your step goals. What am I doing today? And ultimately, you, you end up with this, this, this scaling, right? Um, but a couple of things. Um, so again, uh, I guess the major point to iterate here is that the big goals, the point of the big goal is to determine what you're doing today. That's, that's the point. Um, it doesn't matter how big it is. The point is that's, that's the trajectory of what do I need to accomplish today. Notice that there's a lot of negative space. There's a lot of black area. And what that means is there's going to be gaps. There's lag between every step goal. There's gaps between the sprints. There's gaps between the stretch. So yes, we will hustle. Um, but there's a lag when we see the result. It's just inevitable. Um, so I want to then now transition to how this framework applies to the Bible. Um, so we're going to now transition to the, pa uh, the passage. Don't bother reading. I will. Uh, I'll go through it. So uh, Luke 14, uh, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and child, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Oof. Um, so this is an audacious goal, uh, an audacious demand, sorry. Um, in the ancient Near East, um, this was 
so, so specifically in the ancient Near East, they were fam a familial-based culture, right? Um, in the West, now we're more all about, you know, I'm independent. But, um, but back then, everything was determined by family. So in the ancient Near East, family established a person's identity. It was a primary means of survival, specifically for protection, for procreation, and for production. So for protection, you relied on the men in the house. For procreation, you relied on the women in the house. And for production, you relied on everyone in the house to be able to then survive and thrive as a family. Um, the use of hate uh, that was just mentioned uh, occurs in Luke. It occurs in Genesis 29, 30, 31, it, um, where Jacob loved Rachel, hated Leah. Um, it occurs in Deuteronomy 21, 15 to 17. It's not a literal hate. Um, per se, it's, it's, uh, it's an object of comparison, right? So, so you love one thing so much that it almost appears as hate. Um, so Jesus isn't calling his followers to hate their families. Uh, instead, he's calling them for undivided loyalty um, to the point where he himself is above the family. Um, and it's difficult because Jesus is asking us to give up a good thing, family, for a God thing. Um, family relationships are good, but even family relationships become an idol um, that compete against the call of God. Moving on. Verse 27. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So in the Roman world, uh, a person carrying their cross, there's only one inevitable end. Um, that man will die on that cross. Uh, he, had a, he had to carry his cross to his own place of execution. So carrying a cross always led to death, and if someone took up their cross, they never came back. It was a one-way journey. Um, so keep that in mind. Uh, it's pretty explicit. Uh, so 28, next verse. So suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Uh, wouldn't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you had enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. So Jesus said, sit down <laughs> and count the cost. Sit down and see if you can afford to follow me. So a couple of uh, conclusions that you can draw from that. Following Jesus is a deliberate decision. Following Jesus is a process. And following Jesus is expensive. Um, and potentially, failing to finish ends in humiliation. So you end up with these points, right? Um, and basically, it's a clear warning. You know, Following Jesus is expensive, but it's deliberate and it's a process. Um, moving on to the next analogy. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Wouldn't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciples. So Jesus said, said again, sit down. So apparently it requires sitting down. You can't make this decision standing up. He said it twice. Uh, so <laughs> consider whether you're able to enter into battle against terrible odds, right? Um, I had an illustration of a game of risk going on in here, but didn't make it in the final cut. So yeah, but consider <laughs> whether or not you can make those dice rolls. Um, following Jesus is an all or nothing decision, right? Um, you don't enter into battle and halfway through say, hold up, let's pause. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Uh, it's an all or nothing decision. Um, so don't enter into something that you don't intend to follow through. 
And in these two examples, they're very specific. Um, Jesus alludes to the idea that following Jesus or working for the kingdom uh, will be like building a building or like battle. Uh, both of these scenarios, if you've ever experienced either, are more costly uh, than you think they are going in, right? So if you ever try to build a building, people know that there's a lot more money that ends up going into that thing than they initially plan out, and that's just the way it is. Um, same for battle. You don't know what the cost will be. So 34, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile it's thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Um, so if we claim to be salt, um, but we lose our distinctiveness, what's the point? Um, like if we claim to be disciples, but our step goal, our day-to-day -day doesn't look distinctive, if, if it isn't in any way looking like following Jesus, what's the point? And so in summary, Jesus says, Following him will require you, one, to give up your identity and safety found in family, to take up your cross, to sit down, and make the decision carefully because it's an all-or-nothing decision. Um, and so I'm going to invite Minyoung up here uh, to read a quote, but the, 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 the question that we're trying to answer is, why does following Jesus have to cost so much? Why does it have to cost pretty much essentially everything? And I think Bonhoeffer's cost of discipleship quote explains it best. And so we'll have her read it. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap jacks wares. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, and the consolations of religion are thrown away at cut prices. Grace is represented as a church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price, grace without cost. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance, and because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibilities of using and spending it are infinite. What would grace be if it were not cheap? Cheap grace is a preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. Costly grace is a treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is a pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is a kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye, which causes him to stumble. It is a call of Jesus Christ, at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies a sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. Ye were ye were bought at a price, and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but deli delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Thank you. So I asked Minion to read that because I can't read it with a straight face. I, it's bawling happens, so I, yeah. 
request was there. <laughs> um, to reiterate some of the points that we covered earlier today, um, the purpose of a goal, again, is to orient our day-to-day. -day. Um, it, it has to be as big as it can be because that ultimately changes what we do today. And sacrifice only makes sense when the goal is worth the sacrifice, right? So how does this relate back to the passage? We don't follow Jesus because we're capable disciples. Um, we follow Jesus because he's worthy of being followed. Verse 27. We follow at great cost because Jesus went ahead first. So following Jesus at his simplest, he carried a cross, so his followers carry one. He walked to his self-death, so his followers do the same. Jesus wasn't looking for those who had resources to follow him, but those who, after thinking about it, knew they did not. Because the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, Luke 19.10. And when we look at what happens next, none of the disciples followed through. You know, when the going got tough, the disciples got lost. They abandoned Jesus, even Peter. He was said that he would never forsake him. But if Peter, James, and John the three closest followers of Christ could not follow through. Why do you think that we can? No one in and of themselves has the resources to be a disciple of Christ. And in order to be his disciple, you have to you know, renounce your dependence on your family and anything else that defines your identity so that you can fully depend on Christ's work alone. So discipleship or choosing to align your step goals with Jesus is not following Jesus with sufficient means to do what he commands, but depending on him to enable us to do as well. Both the willing and the doing come from him and not from us. Said again, the key element of discipleship is not obedience, because we're incapable of that by ourselves, but dependence, because without him we can't do anything. And so Jesus has done the work, but that doesn't mean we can stay as we are. Bonhoeffer reminds us that costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. And so I want to end with a quote from President JFK, uh, his address at Rice University uh, on the national space effort in September 12, 1962. He says, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do other things, not because they're easy, but because they're hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is the one that we are willing to accept and we're unwilling to postpone. And one in which we intend to win, and the others too. Thank you.
Gospel and renewal. Let's all stand together. Um, beware when you read Bonhoeffer. That man will get you. <laughs> the last two millennia. Jesus has been captivating from the boat where he called Simon, James, and John to here in AMC 19th in Union Square, New York City, the call to follow him. I've doubted everything in my life even the existence of God but I never doubted the call which is kind of a paradox but the call is eternal and the call is the one that Jesus like Sarah Young says Jesus calling the calling doesn't come from the church or a minister it comes from him calling is following Jesus. Jesus never ever said, come believe me. Come and believe in me. Come and believe in my doctrine. Jesus said, come and follow me. Jesus said, come and see. Tell someone next to you, come and see. It was an existential, visceral invitation to taste the Lord for he is good the goodness of God and the grace of God cheap grace only happens when we really don't understand the cross or when we forget it because the truth is there has to come to a, a point in your life where you go well if grace abounds then whatever I do God will forgive because grace is that infinite yes it's true until we preach grace that way to the point of licentiousness to the point where it's a license to do whatever I want we really don't understand grace but that's just the beginning when we begin to unlayer the grace of God it begins to crucify us then we realize oh my god he's dying for someone that would do that he's dying for a sinner and Paul's right everybody abandoned Jesus including Peter in the final hour and we all will fall short the glory of God and that's why he's the author and the perfecter of our faith But the way we live out our lives for Christ, our hearts will always be bigger than what it reflects in our lives. But that heart has to be pure. That heart has to ache. And pray it catches up. Our actions, our steps catches up to the heart we have for God. So today, will you lift your hands to the Lord once again?
as a disciple of Christ and say, captivate me, Lord. I want to hear the call, your voice calling me to come and see, to come and follow, wherever it might end. Captivate us. Your face is beautiful. Your eyes are like the stars Your gentle hands are healing They're inside the scars They're inside the scars Your loving arms Your loving arms They draw me And your smile, it and brings your me peace smile, it brings me Draw me closer, oh my Lord. Draw me closer, Lord, to Thee. Draw me closer, oh my Lord. Draw me closer, Lord, to Thee. Captivate us. Captivate us, Lord Jesus. Set our eyes on You. Devastate us with your presence falling down and rushing river draws nearer holy fountain consume us with you captivate us Jesus with you let everything let's sing that let everything let everything be lost in the shadows of the light of your face of the light of your face let every chain let every chain be broken from me as I'm bound in your grace as I'm bound in your grace, let everything, let everything be lost in the shadows of the light of your face, of the light of your face. Let every chain be broken from me as I'm bound in your grace, for your yoke is easy. For your yoke is easy, your burden is light, you're full, you're full of wisdom, power and might, and every eye will see you. Holy Spirit, we pray today that we would hear the call ourselves. We would hear Jesus calling us to him. Because we said this repeatedly, calling is not an occupation. Calling is not even formation. 
calling is simply a direction to the person of Jesus Christ. It is he who we grasp. It is he who we trust. It is he we put our faith in. Calling is going with him wherever he goes. Sometimes you walk on water. Sometimes you go to the cross. But get this. When there's death with Christ, there's always a resurrection. Amen? And sometimes there's the sacred romance. That's exactly today what Paul did today is what Grace saw. I get it now. Beautiful. <laughs> and the heart of God coming out in tears. Captivate us, Lord, today with your beauty once again. Will you bow your heads for the benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people say, Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.